next series of podcasts is going to deal with the female reproductive system. The female reproductive system, as you know, it consists of the internal organs, the ovaries, the uterine or fallopian tubes, the uterus and the vagina, and the external genitalia. Now, we're not going to talk about the external genitalia in these podcasts, but you should review from anatomy and embryology these structures and understand how they relate to homologous male structures. We will talk about the mammary glands and the placenta in these series of podcasts. There are a lot of cyclic changes that occur in the female reproductive system, and it's going to be a challenge to you to relate the histology of what you see and the physiology of what you see to these cyclic changes. And so your learning objectives, we want you to be able to describe the structure and function of the various organs in the female reproductive system. We want you to recognize the female reproductive organs on glass slides and on histologic images. You should be able to describe and recognize differences in follicle development, relate these to oocyte production, that is in relation to meiosis and gametogenesis in females. And you should make some clinical correlations between what you learn about the structure of the female reproductive organs with what you're going to learn about their function in your physiology course. If we talk about some of the cyclic changes, the ovaries, uterine tubes, and uterus in sexually mature individuals exhibit marked changes related to both the menstrual cycle and to pregnancy. And as I said, the challenge for you is going to be to relate these changes to what you're going to see on histologic images. Now, as you know, monarchy marks the end of puberty. It usually occurs between 9 and 14 years of age, the mean age something like 12.7 years. The average menstrual cycle is 28 to 30 days, and we say average because I think many of you are aware menstrual cycles can be fairly variable. Ovaries produce oocytes, and ovaries also produce hormones that regulate reproductive activity. Menopause marks the end of menstrual cycles. Usually menopause occurs between ages 45 to 55, mean age 51.4 years. After menopause, the ovaries no longer produce oocytes. The ovaries no longer produce hormones that regulate reproductive activity. The vagina and mammary glands are going to show reduced function after menopause, mostly in relation to secretory activity. This diagram just shows some of the anatomical relationships. You should know these from your gross anatomy course. But for example, the suspensory ligament of the ovary carries blood vessels, and then the ligament of the ovary, the mesosalphinx, the mesovarium, and the mesometrium are all part of the broad ligament. So these are just things I'd like you to recall from gross anatomy. We will talk about some of these other structures as we relate them to histology. Now, as you know, the ovary has a dual function, functions as an exocrine gland and an endocrine gland. With respect to being an exocrine gland, it's involved in the production of gametes, so oogenesis. And we talk about oocytes as the developing gametes and ova as the mature gametes. With respect to endocrine production, the ovary produces steroid hormones. 
As you know, estrogens promote growth and maturation of the external and internal sex organs. This leads to puberty and the onset of secondary sexual characters. Estrogens also promote breast development with respect to the stromal cells, ductal cells, and adipose in the breast. Progestogens prepare for pregnancy, and this is going to lead to the cyclic changes that are observed in the uterus and the breast. Also leads to secondary changes in the endometrium and to lobular proliferation of the secretory components of the mammary glands. This diagram just relates ovarian structure and follicle development, and so you could think about this in a cyclic manner if you want starting with very young follicles going to the more mature follicles that will be ovulated and finally forming structures like corpus luteum. Now in a woman who has not given birth the size of the ovary is about three by one and a half by one centimeters. In a postmenopausal woman the ovary is about one-fourth of that size. As you'll recall from anatomy and from that first diagram we showed you each ovary is attached to the posterior surface of the broad ligament by the mesovarium. The superior pole of the ovary is attached by the suspensory ligament and that is also carrying blood vessels and those are shown just diagrammatically on this cartoon. And then the inferior pole of the ovary is attached to the uterus by the ovarian ligament. The ovary has a cortex and a medulla. The cortex is that area in the ovary where ovarian follicles are developing. It's a highly cellular region with a lot of connective tissue and scattered smooth muscle cells. The medulla is a looser connective tissue, has large contorted blood vessels, lymphatics, and nerves. The surface of the ovary is covered by cuboidal cells, and we term this the germinal epithelium. That is a misnomer. This is before people realized that the primordial germ cells migrate into the ovary from the yolk sac. And you'll recall from embryology, of course, it's the primordial germ cells that give rise to the gametes. The tunica albuginea is a dense connective tissue band that's just below the germinal epithelium. And it turns out that about 70% of ovarian tumors arise from the germinal epithelium. And it's thought that that occurs because you would imagine that as you have ovulation, this germinal epithelium is broken apart. It's disrupted. And so people think the constant disruption and repair might allow these cells to be prone for tumor formation. We know about metaplasia, where this constant disruption or damaging of an epithelial surface and and the cells can take on different lineages. Well, this may be related to ovarian tumors that develop from the germinal epithelium in the ovary. This germinal epithelium is analogous to a mesothelium that would cover other organs. But of course, as we said, here the germinal epithelium is a cuboidal epithelium, where mesothelium and other organs, as you know, is a simple squamous epithelium. This is a relatively high-power histological view of the cortex of an ovary. You can note there's a lot of primordial follicles near the surface of the ovary. Here are some primary follicles. We'll talk about these in a later podcast. Here I want to point out for you the germinal epithelium. Note that the cells are cuboidal. 
And what I'd like you to take note of is the dense band of connective tissue, this tunica albuginea, which is just below the germinal epithelium. And keep in mind, if you want, within your mind's eye, the proportions of this tunica albuginea in relation to the germinal epithelium and in relation to the rest of the cortex of the ovary. Because on the next slide, look at this expanded view of a tunica albuginea. Here would be some of these primordial follicles. This expanded tunica albuginea is from a patient that has polycystic ovarian disease. And it's very common in patients with polycystic ovarian disease that you find a very expanded tunica albuginea. What happens is you have ovarian cysts that build up. You've got large graphene follicles that have a different difficult time ovulating because they can't push through the tunica albuginea and break through to the surface of the ovary.